these letters were written, uh, who, who these letters were written to was a church at large, not just one specific church, but for everyone. So very relevant to us today. And today we find ourselves in James chapter 3. A very, very practical word. It's almost as if James, it, it just as his letter moves on, he gets more and more practical as he moves through his letter. And this is probably one of the most practical um, aspects of his letter right here uh, in what's titled, in, probably in your text, Taming the Tongue. So let me read that for us. We're just going to look at 12 verses today. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a, a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's word. It's entirely true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the, uh, the truth that lies before us. Uh, God, I pray, I know this is relevant to all of us because we all have tongues. And so, God, I pray that you would help these words, your word, um, to land uh, where they need to land in our own hearts. That you would convict us of sin. That you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. God, that you would just give us ears to hear and minds to understand. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Speaking uh, is a big part of life, right? Words are a big part of all of our lives. We've, we've spoken a lot of them already, and it's only uh, almost you know, 11 right now. So we're, we're, uh, we're, we're in the midst of it right now as we talk. I'm talking words right before you. So I was reading a New York Times article this week, and uh, the, 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 author of the, the, the writer of the article was talking about um, if we didn't have the, the fall, and I don't think she's a believer at all, but she made a really good point, that we wouldn't have literature because most of literature is, is, is geared around uh, talking and gossip. And so if we didn't have the fall, that, that most of our great literature wouldn't exist. If you think about it, it's, she's right on that, which is really interesting. We, we, have, we have a law in our land that, that, uh, that gives us free speech. So a law that says you are free to say or write 
pretty much whatever you want. You are free to do that. Now that gets challenged these days by social media outlets, but by and large, that remains in place. The tongue has also been the tool of choice from the very beginning of creation. It's the tongue that Satan used to deceive Adam and Eve in the garden when he misused God's word and said to Adam and Eve, you will not surely die. So laced with these words of deceit, Satan uses his tongue to help bring about the fall of all of mankind. And because of a tongue, you and I sit here broken. And possibly because of your tongue, you sit here estranged from people you love and people that you say you care about. Because you have a hard time controlling what you say or how you say it. Now words have, it have inspired greatness in people. It's not all negative. Think about you know, Sir Winston Churchill's speeches during World War II that inspired the nation during one of the most difficult times uh, think of, of Martin Luther King Jr. during the Civil Rights era when uh, in the speeches, the words that he spoke entired, inspired people to put their lives on the line. But then words have also brought about great evil in our world too, haven't they? Think about the rhetoric of Adolf Hitler. His words were used to corrupt and manipulate and persuade an entire nation to not only attempt to murder an entire race of people, but also to take on the entire world in a war. So all of this, good and bad, began with the tongue. And it's here in in the speech ethics of James that you could say that the right use of the tongue could be understood as an example of faith and works, what we looked at last week. So even just jumping back to chapter 1, verse 26, James says this. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious, so if you're sitting here now and you think you're religious, James says, and you don't bridle your tongue, you don't control your tongue, you deceive your heart, and your religion that you say you have is worthless. So again, what James is showing us here is, like we saw last week, is what biblical Christianity looks like. Or we could say today, what biblical Christianity sounds like. And one of the main features of, 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 of its identity is, is anyone who professes Christ is the way in which they use their words. Quite literally, this, what James is talking about here is not an allusion to something else or something deeper. We're not trying to dig around and say, what is James talking about when he says tongue? He is actually talking about that part of your body that is currently in your mouth that allows these words to be shaped and formed and to come out of your mouth. So out of the 108 verses in James, 46 of these verses touch upon speech matters in one way or another. So that's, that's 43% of James's letter deals with speech. Almost half. And he's recognizing that your words every day can be used to either, either bring life or bring death into this world. How will you choose to use 
this instrument that God has given to you? So we'll look at this in three ways to help us answer that question today. By looking at one is uh, the power of the tongue in verses 1 through 5. And then two, the danger of the tongue in verses 5 through 12. And then three, we'll see how all of this it gives us the redeemed purpose of the tongue. So the power of the tongue, the danger of the tongue, and then the redeemed purpose of the tongue. So first, the power of the tongue. Look at verse 1. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now this seems a bit strange to begin this portion of the letter kind of isolating a specific group of people. James is directing these, these early words here uh, to, to those who, who desire or who do teach the Bible. But the early church gave a high esteem and a high importance to those who would have taught. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of God. He's, he's talking to teachers of the word there. And then you have in 1 Timothy chapter 5 in the pastoral epistles where Paul is, is talking to Timothy, this pastor Timothy, and he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It's a high calling to preach God's word. It's, it's a lot like the rabbis of the day who, who were teaching God's Word continually, teaching the Bible. And because teachers uh, exert so much influence over trusting students with their words, James has to warn those who would aspire to such a role. Consider that, I mean, even consider, you think about Paul, you think about who is the best, te- besides Jesus, who is the greatest teacher of God's Word in the Bible? And most of us would probably land on, Paul would show up on our, at least our top three. And even in Acts chapter 17, we find that the, the Bereans uh, in, in the church in Thessalonica, the Bereans were, were fact-checking Paul's teaching because they knew that the teaching of the Bible and the words that were coming out of Paul's mouth, which was new in a lot of ways, had to be checked. And so you have Acts 17.11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the, script, the scriptures daily to see if these things they were being taught were so, were true. So I think James is using this warning to make the overall point that words are powerful. Words can be used to, to build up and, and grow people but can also be used to tear down and manipulate people as well. And there were definitely those in the first century, and even now in the 21st century, who, who seek a teacher status for the wrong reasons. And needless to say, the tongue of a teacher can do great damage to their pupils if their words are not used correctly. So, if, you, if you hear, you're here today and you desire uh, to teach God's Word, which I know there's, there's at least a few of you out there that, that desire to do that because you've told me, um, heed James's warning here before doing so. Because teachers will be judged. James is not saying teachers will be judged necessarily by their peers and those who listen to them. James is saying those teachers will be judged by 
God. Listen to Luke 12, 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Then you have Hebrews 13, 17 that, sa- that says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now you think that's, that's been an abused uh, verse by a lot of pastors, I can admit that for sure, to say, obey your leaders and submit to them, and that's where they stop. But if you read it further, we have to keep watch over your souls, and then we have to give an account, not before some, some bishop in another uh, part of the, of the world, we have to give an account at the end of days before God for your souls. I have to give an account for the words that come out of my mouth every single week. So another implication here is that that these sorts of things uh, begin with the leaders who teach and this will trickle down into the whole body of the church. So if you see a church that's unhealthy, you can more than likely uh, follow the thread back to the person who is teaching the most. Typically where it begins. Because the tongue has the power to influence people in directions that you never dreamed that you would go. This is what James says in verse 2. If someone cannot bridle the tongue, if someone cannot control the tongue, they won't be able to bridle even their own bodies. Because there is this direct correlation with this small member of the human anatomy with the, with the actions and directions of the entire body. So if you can't control something uh, as small as your tongue, what makes you think that you can control the other parts of your body? James says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. And then in verses 3-5, through James gives several examples of small things that exert a disproportionate amount of influence over things much larger than them. It's a great uh, picture here that James gives to us. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Horses are magnificent creatures. I love getting up next, I don't ride horses, but I love getting up next to them and just, there's a place that we go at the beach where we can get right next to horses and we pet them and, and all of that. And they're just, they're so strong and muscular and overwhelming that you would think we could never control this thing, but simply putting a small bit of metal in their mouth controls where they go. And then look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So there's a a positive aspect to this, and there's also a negative aspect to this. So one of my favorite comedians is Nate Bargatze. And in he, there, there, he, an Atlantic article was written on him recently. If you haven't ever listened to him, he's great, fantastic comedian. But they held him as the nicest man in stand-up comedy, which is a huge honor. 
And he does this without pandering, uh, without compromising. He's just, he's just nice and he's funny at the same time, which is a rare combination. And he says this, somebody asked him why he's so nice, and he says, I just need to be super careful with anything that could be seen as making fun of someone. I never want to be mean. Now, compared to the comedian like Dave Chappelle, who goes out of his way to be mean simply to get a laugh. The two different directions in which the tongue is steering an individual. Which way is your tongue steering you? A good test for this is to ask yourself, what kind of influence uh, have my words had on people or do my words currently have on people? Do people know that I care about them and love them simply based on the way that I speak to them? And these can, these are, these can even be hard words that you speak to them. Do they still know that you love them even in the way, the tone that you take and the truth that you're sharing with them. We knew some people who, they would, say, um, they would say to us when they were confronted over them speaking hard words to people, they would say, we, we, uh, we love hard. We love hard. Which really, it, when you interpret that, means we don't have any friends. Because the way in which we share the love, it, the truth in love, is not with love. It is in a harsh tone and in a prideful manner. The people know that you love them based on how you speak to them. Now, if you're a Christian, James is saying they should. They should see a difference in your speech. They should hear a difference in your tone. When I was in high school, I was very sarcastic. Um, it was... It was, it was now I realize, as a 42-year-old man, it was my way of hiding behind my own insecurities. But I was really good at sarcasm. I mean, it was like a gift. And I, I, I could, it was like a sword for me, and I was able to use it to defend myself and to make fun of other people. Um, I was fluent in it, and I always got a laugh every time. So, of course, I used it all the time. But I didn't realize how effective and destructive it was until after I had become a Christian and one day I had a friend confess to me that my sarcasm was so hurtful to him that he actually wanted to kill me. And he was serious. So it's subtle. It may be the tone that you take when responding to your spouse or your children that communicates annoyance rather than patience. I did this yesterday. Maybe it's the words you choose to use on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram that communicate uh, disdain or another form of annoyance at someone's post that you disagree with or maybe you're jealous of. And so you think, I can craft a little sentence here that will speak volumes to this person. Maybe it's your silence. Maybe you don't say enough. Maybe you see a friend walking in sin and instead of confronting them with the gospel, you say, nothing, it's none of my business, I don't need to say anything. Or maybe you see injustice in the world that you need to speak up on because it, it is directly affecting your life or someone else's life and, and instead of entering into the controversy, you choose to ignore it instead of speaking up. Or maybe you need to do the opposite. And I think this is more often the case. Maybe you just need to, to shut up. 
Maybe you need to be silent a little longer than you think. James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, but slow to speak. So in verse 4, James uses the example of a ship caught in a storm, and it's the smallest instrument of the ship that can steer it through. And the same is true of your tongue. You, you your body, you, you are walking through the storm of this world, and, and it's, it's, throw, it's throwing you to and fro at times. You feel it. You, you are, you're discombobulated. You're, you're thrown all over the place. You hear uh, one person saying this and another person saying this, and you, bo- you like both of them, and, and you're just thrown back and forth. And James is saying that it's your tongue, the way you speak, that can change your direction either for good or for ill. And as we'll see in the next few verses, in verses 5 through 11, the tongue left unchecked is like a campfire that is left unchecked in the California wilderness with no rain. It wreaks havoc on all that is in its path. The danger of the tongue. Look at verses 5 through 8. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So it's interesting to me that James concentrates his attention on the negative results of the tongue rather than the positive aspects of the tongue. And I think he does this because he knows how the subtlety of our speech can create a storm of hurt that is hard to get rid of. I mean, think about, uh, I googled this this week, about celebrities' lives and, and careers that were ruined because of something they said. And there are, there are hundreds of them. Just a simple tweet that they probably meant somewhat innocently ruins their careers. They never get a job ever again in Hollywood. Simple things. The subtlety of our language is hard to get rid of. And this is why James describes the tongue in the harshest language he can find. He calls it a fire. A world of unrighteousness. This tongue in our mouth is a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life which literally means the cycle of existence. So from, from birth to death, your tongue brings ruin. I mean, you can just simply think about Think about the names that you were possibly called in your childhood and how those have stuck with you now into adulthood. I guarantee you, you have one that comes to your mind. From birth to death. And this should give us pause as we, whenever we open our mouths, whenever we, we, we speak a word, because if our tongue is, is, is as dangerous as James tells us it is, then there's a good chance the next words that come out of your mouth will be damaging and hurtful. And because of that, they probably need to be thought through a little bit more, slow to speak or slow to write, or type. 
So commenting on this description of the tongue being a world of unrighteousness, John Calvin said, A slender portion of flesh contains the whole world of iniquity. The whole world of iniquity, the whole world of sin is right there in your mouth. Jesus makes a similar claim um, concerning tongues in Matthew 15. We read this a couple of weeks ago, but he taught that what comes out of the mouth of of a person makes that person unclean because that which comes out of the mouth expresses the heart to which we find evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander, and then you heard a little bit more of those uh, that Meredith read for us in Romans chapter 1 today. All of those things proceed from the heart and come out of the mouth. Which is how James ends verse 6 when he says, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So the Greek word there for body is the word soma, which, which, which doesn't just talk about the physical aspect of your body that you can see and feel and touch, but, but it's communicating your whole being, who you are as a person, is what James is communicating there. So again, this speaks to the, the magnitude of the destructive potential that your tongue has. And where does something of this magnitude come from? But none other than hell itself. So the word hell in the Greek translates as the word Gehenna, which is just a combination of two Hebrew words that mean Valley of Hinnom. And this Valley of Hinnom was a real place, and it's in the, this valley that, ju- that just laid right outside of Jerusalem that, had, that built this evil reputation uh, during the Old Testament times. Because that was the place where pagan sacrifices, child sacrifices were made, and it was also uh, the city dump. And it wasn't, I don't know if you've been to the city dump recently, but our city dump's pretty nice, actually. It wasn't, it wasn't like the, the city dumps that we have now that are, that are actually relatively clean and don't smell too bad. This place was a horror. I mean, you're walking through this and dumping your trash, and there's babies' bodies laying at your feet. The smell was, was unbearable. And, this, and it's this, this is the image that Jesus uses most of all to describe hell. That it's a place of, of death, it's a place of stench, and it's a place of burning fire that never goes out. And Satan himself, the chief inhabitant of hell, gives to the tongue its great destructive potential. Satan is not called the father of lies for nothing. So James doesn't go into detail concerning examples of what this actually looks like, but we can look to the, to the wisdom of other parts of Scripture, particularly the, the wisdom of the Proverbs that talk a lot about the sins of speech. So you have in Proverbs 10 and 12 and 29 that talks about uh, thoughtless chatter. Thoughtless chatter. You just kind of speak just to hear yourself speak. You don't really think about it. Proverbs 12:19 talks about lying. Proverbs 18, 12, arrogant boasting. We would probably call that humble bragging today. We like to do that a lot. Proverbs 10, 18, gossiping. And then you also have places in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 1, 4, where Paul warns Timothy not to get caught up in myths and endless genealogies. 
myths and endless genealogies, we would call those today conspiracy theories. Don't get caught up in conspiracy theories. And a lot of people do. 2 Timothy 2, 14-17, Paul tells Pastor Timothy to remind the church of this. Remind them of these things, Timothy, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. And then he goes on, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gain green. Their words will eventually kill people. So what Paul and James are both saying is don't get caught up in words that distract from the gospel. Why? Because it hinders your worship. Look at verses 9 and 10. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and you can translate that word bless as worship. With it we worship our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God or in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And now we know because of what James says in chapter 2 verse 1 that no one can hold faith in Christ and partiality towards other people, towards His creation at the same time. We, we learned that a couple of weeks ago. But the same holds true here. This again is the same kind of duplicity, kind of uh, double kind of talk we saw back in chapter 1. And James says here, it is manifested in your speech. So how can you worship the Father and curse people with the same mouth? James is essentially saying to you, you can't. It's either one or the other. Look at the example he uses in verses 11 through 12. He says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And James is saying here, Look, even a little bit of salt in a freshwater spring makes the water salty. And there's nothing you can do about it. No matter how much you want that water to be fresh, no matter how much you pretend that the water is fresh, if it has any salt in it, the water is salty. Or to use the fire metaphor again, it would be like starting, you starting a forest fire and then trying to put the forest fire out at the exact same time. The fire will always win. The fire will always burn once it's lit. Because as James says in verses 7 through 8, we can tame every, every kind of animal and we can tame every kind of bird and you can tame every kind of reptile and sea creature. You know, you just go to the zoo or go to SeaWorld and you'll see that happening and it's incredible. But James says this one small part of creation that is part of your body, no human being can tame it. Nobody can. Why? It's such a small thing. What, we should be able to control it, right? We should be able to control this thing that, is, that belongs to us, but it's actually not true. We can't do it. Because we don't have the power to do so. Because the reality is, the spring must be cleansed 
so that only fresh, sweet water comes out. And for this, we need help. And that, fortunately, is what the gospel offers to us. So the the redemptive purpose of the tongue in, in those last verses there. Because the purpose of the tongue is obviously not cursing, but blessing or, or, or worship of, of God. So James is after consistency here. You can, you can hear it in James's concluding words in verse 10 when he says, you can, you can almost hear him kind of, kind of uh, almost in a frustrated maybe tone or, or just kind of sighing deeply because he's, he's burdened over, over these people because he's probably heard this happening in churches. He's not just writing this because he wants to just point his finger. This is actually happening in these churches. And James says, my brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. It should not be like this. We should not be, be killing each other with our words. And, and so what James is saying here is he wants people to follow Jesus thoroughly. He wants people to follow Jesus with their lives, but he also wants them to, wants them to follow Jesus with their mouths in the way that they speak. So that means to be, he wants them to be blessing only people rather than blessing and cursing people. Because our tongue shows the world what is in our hearts. Back to Jesus' words. So control of a tongue then expresses a heart that has been transformed by the gospel. And if your heart has been transformed by the gospel, your tongue can now be controlled. Because a redeemed tongue speaks differently. It's words that build up and and words that that don't tear down. It's words spoken in love and not words spoken in hatred or or jealousy or in contempt. Words that bring peace and not dissension. How well are you using your words? How does a typical conversation go between you and other people? How do you speak to your spouse on a regular basis? What tone do you typically take? How do you speak to your children? Are they afraid of when you open, afraid that, that you're going to open your mouth and uh, yell at them? How do you speak to those in your spheres? How do you speak to people at work and school uh, and, and in the grocery store? Do you find yourself speaking words of affirmation more or words of criticism more often? Maybe you're a cynic and everything that that others say, especially if it's positive because cynics hate positivity, is met with a cynical or sarcastic response from you and you typically always try to find the negative. And a lot of the time the reason we speak this way or the way we do is because we want our own way. In a small way, we are all teachers, like James was warning us about earlier. We want to to control the situation, so we say hurtful things. We speak in an unloving manner. We, We bark orders at people as if they were some kind of farm animal. And the only way that we can be changed, the only way that our our speech can be changed, is if God intervenes. It's the only way. We see this sort of thing in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah recognizes in this this great vision of the Lord that he is in the presence of a holy God. And And his immediate response is to confess 
his sin concerning his mouth. He says these words. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And it's a supernatural intervention that has to change Isaiah. It goes on, Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar of God, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. In one of um, Francis Schaeffer's sermons, The Lord's Work and the Lord's Way, he mentions a song that was sang at his college commencement titled, Give Us Tongues of Fire. And the last verse of the song goes like this. It says, O Son of Man, O Son of God, whose love bought all men by his blood, give us thy mind, thy soul's desire, thy heart of love, thy tongue of fire, that we thy gospel may proclaim to every man and in thy great name, O crucified and risen Lord, give tongues of fire, to preach thy word. This is what we should be asking for as God's people. Tongues of fire to preach thy word. Because that, because what James is looking for here in these verses is not perfection, but consistency of behavior. Just as one can depend on a fig tree to be consistent and, and bear figs and give figs and a freshwater spring to be consistent in, in giving fresh water, the maturing believer who has been changed by the gospel and, and is consistently being sanctified by the word of God, as one commentator put it, should converse constructively rather than destructively. So another way we could put it, Speak words of life, not words of death. Because control of the tongue ultimately manifests a transformed heart. Now it's interesting to note that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, it comes in like a rushing wind, the, the walls are shaking, um, everybody is afraid, uh, and, and it comes upon the church, it says that divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on them. And this was such a dramatic experience that it actually changed the way the church spoke. So much so that, that this change of language was, was evidence, uh, evidence of the Holy Spirit of God transforming their life. And it transformed, transformed them so much that the surrounding culture, those who were not believers, noticed. Now, they thought, they thought they were drunk. But we know that just from reading Acts that they were not. But they, 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 they just knew something was different even though they couldn't explain it because of the way the church spoke. And so Peter explains it to them in his, preaching his first sermon and he's giving testimony to the fact that the reason their language is different is not because of anything about what they have done, but what God is doing in them. So let us, because of what God is doing in us, have tongues that set the world ablaze, not with gossip and, 
and lies and uh, devouring each other with our tongue. But let us set the world ablaze with these tongues of fire that spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would give us tongues of fire to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you would change us uh, so deeply that it affects the very words that come out of our mouth. That it affects even the way that we say things. To the point that that in everything that we say and every tone that we take would be a, a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that we won't do this perfectly. So I pray that we would be able to use our words to quickly repent when we don't use them correctly. Repent to you, but also to repent to, the, repent to those who we're speaking to. And so God, I pray that that would be a huge testimony in the life of this church, that we would declare the name of Jesus with these tongues of fire that set the world ablaze with the gospel. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.